Welcome to Love and Other Investments, where we talk about finances, but more importantly, how finances impact relationships. My name is John, and I'm a financial planner. And my name is Jeff, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. All right, well, welcome. I'm Jeff. I'm John, and uh, this is our podcast called Love and Other Investments. In this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about a situation that I think uh, younger families are struggling with, and that is, what do you do when um, one of the partners um, brings home a significantly larger amount of money than the other, or has access to more funds? Um, you know, we've, we've talked in the past on some of our videos about, you know, hey, should we combine our finances or keep things separate? And um, obviously, it's a challenge when you don't make the same amount of income. And I think one of the things that I've thought about is how much culture has changed just in the last, you know, 50 years. I mean, we, you know, sure. shoot, 50 years is, you know, nothing compared to, you know, how long we've been on this planet. But it is a big change in how culture has adjusted here for, for sure. our society. For sure. um, you know, you kind of go back to the 1950s. Um, some of the, you know, economic realities were that a successful family had one car. You know, that's yeah. crazy talk right now. Right. Uh, you had one car, uh, one person worked. Um, typically, it was the husband. I mean, always it was the husband. Right. And, you know, mom stayed home and raised the kids. And, you know, yeah. there was... And they had a pretty small house, too. T- yeah. T- compared to our standards now. You know, those homes, what's really cool is you're seeing those homes now, which kind of fell in disrepair over the last 15 or so years. Now, everybody wants them. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, talking about upgrading them and changing them. and. Right. You know, mid-century, modern, and craftsman, and how cool all that is to kind of right-size your life. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things going on with that. But, you know, in a society today where um, the, the traditional male patriarch is being pushed away, and um, couples today are embracing something much more um, egalitarian, mm-hmm. um, much more... Um, partners, equal partners. Yeah. Um, that sounds great on paper. Yeah. Big fan. Right. But what happens when you can't split the bills evenly? Does somebody end up with more power? Yeah. I mean, and ha- really, I, I don't actually know if what the statistics are, but I have to imagine that it's not very common for two people in a couple to make the exact same amount of money. I would think no. that they make pretty different amounts based on their professions or right and at some point in time you have kids and is are the roles is the attempt to keep the roles equal um is that you know is that pushing a string you know can somebody work can you both work 25 hours a week and or do you have you know how do you do the daycare sure i'm just saying that there's some really big operational challenges where i think couples kind of go in thinking oh this is going to be easy um, because we're going to see things as even Sure. And even is sometimes a lot harder to achieve than we think. Sure. Sure. I think, though, you're alluding to a bigger problem, which is what happens when a couple doesn't agree on what to do with the disparity in their access to dollars. So whether it's one person makes more money than the other or one person's family gives them access to money, mm-hmm. or whether one person has 
you know, maybe they make a similar amount, but one person has a lot of debt mm-hmm. from college or from medical bills or from whatever. Credit cards that were sure. inadvertently piled up sure. prior to marriage. So when there's this disagreement about how the money should be organized or spent, you know, and one person has more uh, more dollars available to them, what really happens? I think that's the question we're trying to get at, right? Yeah, and so maybe one of the ways that I want to, you know, ask the core question, what is the core question, right? Yeah. What does it mean to be partners? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really kind of getting at the, the nasty of center of right. it. Because I think a lot of times we think of partnerships in, in marriages that are, um, and again, I'm using the word egalitarian. In other words, everybody's equal. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody kind of carries their own load. Everybody takes care of their own problems. Right. Um, and everybody provides together to this commune that we're running. Sure. <laughs> Which is very different than a traditional view of kind of how a marriage would work. Yeah. You know, so I think maybe the question, and I want to say it again, is what does a partnership look like? You know, I think... I'm going to make a quick business story here. Okay. You don't hear business partnerships much anymore. When companies start these days, they are typically formed. If one person owns the company, it, it can often be a sole proprietor. Um, and they have a, everything flows through to their own tax return. It's all them. Um, the other and much more common way that things are done today is through LLCs or limited mm-hmm. liability corporations. Right. And, the way, and that's really weird. Everybody thinks that's normal now, but it's actually really weird because um, 20 years ago, that was not the case. What was um, it 20 years ago? 20 years ago is about when the LLC really became more popular over the next... Well, I'll say I'm getting older and I'm losing track of years. So let's say over the last 20 to 30 years, yeah. LLCs really came in. Mm-hmm. Before then, it was partnerships is the way that, um, that things work. And what most people don't understand about partnerships is they are really amazing things when it comes to risk it's why that people don't want to do them anymore it's because both the partners however many there are take equal risk no each partner see this is my point each partner takes on unlimited risk so if you and i were partners in a business we would be allowed to share equally in the profits of the company Mm -hmm. but maybe you had a bunch of money coming into the partnership um, and I only had a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. In, in the way that we think today, well, then if there was a, a judgment against the company for a million dollars, we'd both be on the hook for a half a million dollars each. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I couldn't pay it, um, I would take that debt with me, and you'd have to pay your part, and then you'd be free to go on and do your thing. That's not how partnerships work. Interesting. Partnerships have unlimited liability. So if I couldn't pay my half of the debt, you would have to pay my half because as a partner, you are on the hook for all of it. For we all, of all it. are on the hook for all of it. So you really got to trust it. your partner is what you're saying. Like Correct. So even the very word partnership today has, has kind of changed in meaning because of um, some structural things that we've done. So I want to ask the question is, in a married situation, when you are married together, aren't you truly partners? Um, you know, you say, well, I'm not going to cover this or I'm not going to cover that. But the reality is, is if you both live in the same house, um, you're in the same boat, and that boat is in the water, and you're going together. Yeah. <laughs> it, if that boat sinks, you're both going under. You both go under. Yeah. So you are both fully invested. 
Yeah. And I think we have kind of done some things and we, and again, we covered this in the, in the video where we talk about, should we share resources? Yeah. But I think it, it really behooves us to, to kind of think in this situation of what is it that we're really trying to accomplish together? And we talk about this in other videos also. But what is it? Why did we come together? What are we trying to do? And, you know, it gets into this idea of maybe, maybe whether we are creating these false constructs of separating our resources, maybe we actually aren't. So, for instance, let's say you and I are in business together, but we want to keep our assets separate. And I go, I'll tell you what. I'll pay for the water bill and you pay for the gas bill mm -hmm. and we'll split the advertising um, and we'll split the assistant. Have we really accomplished anything? The bills are still getting paid. The bills are still coming from our resources, right? right? We've made some cool accounting tricks. So Mr. Marriage and Family Therapist, why would we be making these cool accounting tricks? I mean, to protect ourselves from something we don't want. Right? Yeah, so go. Yeah, so <laughs> when I see this phenomenon happening in my office, it's because one or both of the people in the relationship don't really want a partnership. Mm -hmm. They want to mitigate their risk. Mm -hmm. And they don't trust the other one enough mm -hmm. to say, you know, I'll take on, you know, in your, in your partnership example, unlimited risk. Right. They what they say is, um, you know, you do your thing, I'll do mine and, and we'll enjoy our time together. Mm -hmm. But what they don't say is I'm invested in your success and um, I'm going to help you if something goes wrong. Well, yeah, because then the question comes back is, is will you do the same for me? Right. And and I think that's kind of why we have been talking about shared values is because shared values aren't just. Will you support me and will I support you? The question is, is have we created something? We decided to create something together that isn't just mine or yours, but ours. Right. It's a third thing. It's a third it's, thing. Yeah, it's distinct. And that's what the partnership really is supposed to be all about, is this idea that there's this third thing that we have invested ourselves in, that we have committed all of ourselves to. And that doesn't mean that we don't have our own moments. Sure. Our own interests. Sure. But primarily we have both, um, hooked our wagons to this third thing. Um, and I would say that most couples, even if they're trying to segregate assets, even if they're trying to segregate expenses, um, they're working this out. They have this third thing. They may not have really defined it very well. They would benefit from defining it, but to a certain degree, we all kind of have that you know, we're, we're in this together thing. We are in the boat, even if we don't want to really recognize that the boat is one boat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely have people who don't want to be in the boat. They, mm -hmm. they are very content to have two boats. <laughs> I mean that quite seriously. Like they don't want to be caught up in the other person's sinking. So let's not drift back to the boat. Let's not drift too far off of our, um, our main m mantra here, which yeah. is this idea that what do you do with, with a, a relationship where one person has more access has more financial power yeah. through income or resources or savings or inheritance right. um, than the other person. Right. Um, should that person have more say? Do they have more to risk? If, it, if, if you really want a partnership, then I would, I would answer, you know, of course there could be exceptions, but I would answer 
no, no, neither of them gets more vote. I mean, it's the, it's the couple that decides what happens with the dollars. Mm -hmm. They do it together. That shared set of values is what's pointing towards decision-making. So one of the things that we've said is, is that, um, Money creates problems that more money can't solve. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite money quote. J. Paul Getty, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. Another thing about money is it's not the most interesting thing about you or me. Yeah. So if you were to go through the list of things that, you know, that make you a valuable person in society, I would hope that our money would not make it on the top five. Yeah. Right? Right. I'd hope there would be enough characteristics about each of us, as we think about what we bring to a relationship, um, that we could make a list of those valuable um, resources, non-dollar resources right. that each of us bring to the table, um, that money wouldn't make the top five and might might be showing up somewhere around the bottom of a list of 10, right? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of us sometimes think, oh, well, the way that we get things done in this relationship is based on the money we have. Right. So, and to extrapolate, if, if, if I bring more money than my partner, then I, I'm more significant. I'm more important. I have more decision-making power. That's the false kind of idea that gets absolutely adopted. Absolutely. And, you know, while we think that also that in some ways gives us more power, I think in inevitably it actually makes us weaker because if all we, if all our power in our relationship is based off of what we can bring to the table financially, what happens if something happens to that income stream? Have right. you lost your value? Right. What happens if you become disabled and you need the other person to help take care of you? Right. Have you no value? You know, I think these are some really core questions that I think couples need to um, look at in the clear, bright light of day and ask what is it that makes our relationship value is valuable, um, and what is it that each of us brings to the table? Uh, because you know, obviously, if we were attracted to each other and we thought each other had value, and we made a commitment to spend the rest of our lives together, um, that was not purely a financial transaction. Sure. So, what are the exceptions? Like, I could imagine when we talked about this in another um, episode. Um, a couple who's getting married late in life, perhaps mm-hmm. a spouse died, um, or, you know, and they, they meet someone new and, you know, the kids are grown and all of that stuff. Um, maybe an exception in terms of like how the dollars are combined would happen here. Sure. You know, we've talked about, um, in our more than a budget classes that we do, um, we talk about, you know, the idea that, each of us has a financial culture that we're used to. You know, I, I, I talk about, you know, hey, if I sent you to the store, if I send two people to the store to buy the ingredients for a steak dinner for four, you know, one of them's going to go to Whole Foods and spend, you know, $160. Right. And, and the other one's, you know, going to go to the discount store um, and spend, you know, $50. Right. And I gave no instructions as to where to go. I just said, hey, go get what we need for a steak dinner. And that's your way of doing it. That's what that means to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we each have an idea of what our normal is, how we live, where we live, how we shop, the things that we buy, the kinds of cars that we drive, the types of hobbies that we have. We didn't develop those overnight. Those right. were developed partially by you know, how we were raised by our parents, partially by the, 
the resources that were available to us when we were younger. Um, you know, sometimes life changes and we have to adapt. But assuming things haven't changed so much, we tend to revert to the ways that we've mm-hmm. always done them. Sure. So for couples who are getting together later in life, I think it's really important to understand what two financial cultures you're coming from and decide what parts of those can be continued to be supported, what parts should be supported, mm-hmm. um, and how you're going to do that. Yeah. And that's, that's a different negotiation, right? Right. Than two young people, you know, fresh out of whatever level of school that they have, um, scrapping together, facing the world, going, here we go. Yeah. You know, we're going to start from scratch and make right. our mark. Right. Okay. So, you know, I think, I think the, the real crux here is, is that couples who are looking at a power imbalance due to finances... I think would really benefit from doing some inventory on on talking about all the positive things that each person brings to the relationship and putting money in its appropriate place yeah. um, so that when you look at all the resources and all of the things that each of you can do to further the cause of the of the couple's goals of your of your goals over time mm, right um, there's a lot of things happening to make that work. So I think our, you know, we've said this many times, even in this episode, but, you know, I think our basic rule of thumb on this is you need to have some broad and deep understanding of what values you have in common, your shared values. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this in business. I've learned this lesson. Unfortunately, um, the way that we learn a lot of lessons is through pain, right? Yeah. I've learned this in business is that, if you work with people who all are trying to figure out how to make the pie bigger, that's what we're all about. We're here to take care of the pie and to treat the pie well and make the pie bigger. Life is great. But when all of a sudden what really starts happening is everybody starts protecting themselves from each other mm-hmm. and saying, all I'm really interested in right now is making sure that the pie is divided well for me. Yeah. That typically is one of the first steps of recognizing that that partnership is in deep trouble. Not going so well. It's not going well. Yeah. So I think we all have to make some very strong decisions about what it is that we bring to the table to further the cause of our relationship, our our goals, our long-term goals. You know, if you've got two people in a company and one one of you is out selling whatever it is that you make and the other one is back in the office fulfilling all the orders and doing the accounting and paying the bills you could see that one of them would go, well, I'm out doing all the real work and you're just, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You cannot function without somebody filling the orders. You cannot function without somebody doing the taxes. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do you any good to say that one is more valuable than the other. Right. They cannot function without each other. Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe a little preachy here today, but, you know, focusing on what it is that you want to accomplish as a couple um, having some really strong discussions about, you know, respecting what the other person brings um, and appreciating that, uh, I think is probably some of the best defense against money taking a place in the relationship where um, it's not helpful and, and can become a little destructive. Right. When money is more important than the relationship, then the relationship is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would think that, you know, this kind of discussion you're talking about would require the things that we typically recommend, which is empathy. Mm-hmm. You need to have some understanding of your partner's experience, 
so you're not dismissing it or defensive when they say something about their experience that's different than yours. And also curiosity, you know, you need to be willing to go with them wherever they're going Mm -hmm. and try to understand why they go there. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're saying, but money is really important, you know, if you were listening to this and you're going, you know, they just don't know the way the world works. Money is really important. It, it might be real interesting to ask yourself where you learned that lesson. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Yeah. Why is that? Why is it um, so important that that be correct? That the other things can't be yeah, what, important too? What purpose does it serve in, in your life? Yeah. And yeah. is it working? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and you may find that, you know, that's a message you've learned over time. That may be a message that you learned from a parent or a grandparent. Um, and you may find that at times that, that lesson is counterproductive. It, it does remind me of, you know, our needs for power and control. You know, all of us at times in life feel for various reasons that we need to be in control of something. Um, and if we're not in control, you know, we, we feel anxious or powerless. And typically humans don't like that feeling, right? That's a pretty unpleasant feeling. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it does remind me that sometimes our needs for power and control can get a hold of us in a way that is destructive to our relationships. And, you know, to your previous point, you know, this third thing that we're creating in our relationships is probably more important than our individual needs Mm -hmm. in the vast majority of cases. Mm -hmm. And if that's not the case for someone's relationship, then I suppose... Also, to your previous point, it's a good idea now to have a conversation about why that might be. Right. So just wanting to um, ask everybody to be a little bit curious about where, where do you really feel money rates in its ability you know, to make a relationship that you want over the long haul? Yeah. Um, we all know people who make less than us that are very happy, and we probably all know people who have more income than us um, that are not Correct. So, you know, we, we want to be wise. Um, we want to be thoughtful. Um, we don't want to follow the crowd. Um, and we want to do what works um, best for where we want to go. Yeah. So be curious about these things. Um, don't assume that the way that we have always thought um, is the way that we will um, be successful. Hey, thanks for listening. Please leave us a review and follow us so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit relational-media.com.